It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. This season of Lent for Christians is also the season of Passover for Jews. Uh, And there is a reason they occur at the same time of the year. They are connected. But how? Well, for many people of both faiths, this this may seem kind of odd, but if if you've ever read the entirety of the Old and New Testament, you would know that these two faiths are inextricably, inextricably linked. Um, Understanding the crucifixion in the New Testament makes more sense because of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament. There would be no provision for grace in the New Testament without the giving of the law in the Old Testament. And there would be no need for a Messiah revealed in the New Testament without the fall from grace in the opening chapters of Genesis in the Old Testament. Now, these are just three examples of how the Old and New Testaments fit together, but there are countless more. In fact, some biblical scholars believe that the entirety of the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, from Genesis to Revelation, is all about Jesus. It's about what's wrong with the world and what God is is and has done about it. It's pointing to Yeshua, the Messiah. Uh, Rabbi Jason Sobel is a Jewish follower of Jesus and has written a new book called Mysteries of the Messiah, The Rock, the Road, the Rabbi. And Rabbi Jason has influenced thousands of Christians about the connection between the Old and New Testaments. And one of those people is Kathy Lee Gifford, who wrote the foreword for the book. Uh, And she says, in Mysteries of the Messiah, Rabbi Jason brilliantly explains the perfection and beauty of God's redemptive plan for all of humankind. It is truly a masterpiece of insight and illumination. Feast on it, ponder it, and rejoice over it. And Rabbi Jason Sobel joins me now. Welcome. Shalom. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, it is great to be with you. And you know, it's funny, I seem like I know you already because Kathy Lee, of course, was on the on the podcast and she just she just just regaled you. I mean, she just really just talked about how wonderful you were. Um, and you were also uh, sort of discipled by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Uh, he is the author of the, the Harbinger books, who's been on Lighthouse Faith podcast as well. Um, how did you meet Rabbi Kahn? Yeah, it all goes back to my spiritual journey. I'm actually from the Holy Land, New York, New Jersey. <laughs> That's where I grew up. <laughs> More Jews than in Jerusalem. And uh, I was actually working on 47th Street in New York in the music industry. I wanted to be a hip-hop producer wow. and uh, was a DJ to start with and looked at the lives of all these famous people around me and said, there has to be more to life than just this. Mm-hmm. Went to study with my rabbi and eventually began searching for God, started studying Eastern philosophy and religion, had a spiritual encounter with Jesus that opened me up. And my best friend, John, was attending uh, Beth Israel, where Rabbi Jonathan is the uh, leader of that. And he invited me. And that's where I met him. And he kind of opened my eyes to who Yeshua Jesus was. You know, you tell the story in the book about how your friend came to you and and, and actually read some scripture and said, 
and asked you, is this from the Old Testament or the New Testament? And the first one you got right, because it talked about the cross and the crucifixion. But the one that says, and he was led like lamb to the slaughter, um, uh, in, in the one, the, the famous Isaiah 53, and you actually thought it was from the New Testament. Yeah, I had never heard that verse before. He read to me, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his stripes were healed. And he's like, Jason, is that the old and the New Testament? You went to Hebrew school. I'm like, John, it's clearly in the New Testament is Jesus. And he's like, no, that is Isaiah 53, the Jewish prophet. And I was just blown away. I had never read that passage before. That is interesting, too, because I had heard that many uh, Jewish um that uh, people and, and, and synagogues and temples don't read that for that very reason. Um, do you feel like they want to avoid it? They don't want to explain that because it points really too much to Jesus? I mean, there's, I don't think that's specifically, I mean, there's, there's a liturgical reading that Jewish people read through the five books of Moses and they read through a lot of the book of Isaiah, but not all of Isaiah, but it is also, it is an inconvenient truth, right? <laughs> that, that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And, but I mean, but it is true that historically Jews have interpreted rabbinic Judaism has interpreted that as referring to the Messiah, but over time it's been kind of downplayed and not discussed for this very reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's fascinating about the book, um, and because you know, you, you're going to learn so much when you read this book, and I would encourage people to actually pick it up and read it because it really is, well, you will learn so much. Um, you explain the numeric value of words um, and why, the, why this is so important. And one of the things you talk about is that, that Hebrew and Greek letters have um, numeric letters. They don't separate letters from numbers like we do. And we, it's funny how you take that for granted, but when you understand the Hebrew alphabet is actually also speaking of numbers, then it opens up a whole new world. Can you explain that more? Yeah, absolutely. So in, in both the New Testament, which is written in Greek, and in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, there are no Roman numerals. Right. So there are no Roman numerals in the Old Testament. So letters and numbers are interchangeable. The way that you write, the way that you write numbers is actually with letters. So if I said to you, Hey, would you open up your Bible to Genesis chapter one, verse one? It would be Aleph, Aleph, because Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew Bible and it has a numerical value of one. And so when you understand that Hebrew is alphanumeric, it's significant because it opens up an understanding of Bibles in the numbers in the Bible are very significant. A great example of that is, you know, Peter comes to Jesus, like, how many times do I have to forgive up to seven? He thought he was super spiritual because mm -hmm, you only mm -hmm. have to forgive three times. He's like, I'll double it, add one, seven, the number of perfection. Jesus isn't impressed. Yeshua is like, no, 70 times seven, 490. Well, why did he choose that number? Well, 490 is the numerical value of the Hebrew word tamin, to be perfect or complete, because you can't be perfect or complete unless you learn to forgive. 490 is the numerical value of Bethlehem, where he was born, of nativity. And it's all connected because Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Well, Jesus connects bread and forgiveness in the Bible. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses. At the Last Supper, which was a Passover Seder, he broke the bread. This is my body broken for you. So 490 is about forgiveness because you can't be perfect or complete. It's connected to bread because just like we can't live physically without bread, we can't live emotionally and spiritually without the bread of forgiveness. And when we withhold that bread, it's like telling a starving person to go and die. You know, the other thing that really... Um 
fascinated me and actually blew me away was your encounter with the number eight. Um, can you oh, explain yeah. the number eight? And I want to, I want you to explain what, I want to tell you why that number spoke to me volumes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe just even before I get into that, one of the things why I think the numbers is important, especially in the context in which we live, is because in a more skeptical world where people doubt the validity and veracity of the scriptures, someone might read Genesis chapter one and be like, well, clearly God didn't speak the world into existence. That has to be a myth. How can we trust it? These things are these things can't be true. But if you understand that God creates heaven and earth, and you understand that letters and numbers are interchangeable, then when God speaks the world into existence, his word forms the spiritual background and foundation of the spiritual aspect of creation. And the numbers that are connected to those words form the mathematical background of the scientific and mathematical universe in which wow. we live. So there's no discrepancy. When it says God spoke the world into existence, he was creating both the spiritual code of creation and he was creating the mathematical code of creation, just like a computer program. And actually, in some ways, you could say sin is bringing a virus into the system. But that's a, that's a whole other story. Wow. But wow. getting but getting back to the number eight, yeah, it's a very sig significant number. I mean, eight is the number of new beginnings because eight are saved in the ark. Uh, eight is a number that is connected to priesthood, the number of vestments that the priest wears. But probably the most important thing is eight is the number of the supernatural. It's transcending, it's rising above, and it ties in to the season in a very important way because we think of Jesus dying and rising on the first day of the week, mm -hmm. but actually mm -hmm. it's also the eighth day because God finishes the work of creation on the sixth day. He rests on the seventh day, and that's the Saturday. And Sunday would be the first day, or it's eight in the number of chronology, six, seven, eight. So the same thing in the New Testament. Yeshua, Jesus, dies on the sixth day, just like God finished the work of creation. He rests on the seventh day, like God rested from the work of creation. He's resting from the work of redemption and the start of new creation, and he rises on the eighth day. That is so significant because eight is, as we said, the number of new beginnings. Eight is the number of transcending and rising above eight when you turn it on its side is the number of infinity it's the it's the it's a supernatural infinite breaking into the finite eight is the number of david david was the eighth son of jesse wow. and jesus in greek adds up to eight 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 wow and i wanted to i mean why i'm fascinating because i try to explain in my book lighthouse faith about how um the um the uh, vibratory nature of music is based on the the numbers yes. because um, this the major scale basically is a relationship between the numbers between the vibratory nature of each um, level of the scale and the octave is the is the marrying of you know the C and the next C it's like the octave is the most perfect interval because it marries one note to itself only only higher only twice as high um, right and so the octave and it's and, and you can't say that it's just made up that man made it up because it's based on its vibratory nature you know because you know it, it you know if it's a 440 it means 440 beats per second the octave above is a 880 so it's all tied in you can't 
and it's it, that the fact that you say that that God called it into being creation into being speaking in numbers is is actually blows me away totally blows me away well it, and right the octave is the step up it's the number eight octave octagon number eight it's right there right. in the name of it and and right but here's even what's more amazing because it's it's all in the scripture it's God's wisdom. It's his blueprint for creation. And here's an amazing thought. So in Jewish thought, God didn't just speak the world into existence. He actually sang the world into existence. And all of creation is the reverberation of that original song, which ties in with quantum physics and string theory. And we can keep going down that rabbit hole. Uh, wow. <laughs> God speaks 10 times and the world comes into being. There's 10 creation, 10 times God speaks. There's 10 plagues on Egypt. There's 10 uh, commandments. It's all tied together. But the point with this is that some quantum physicists theory that there's 10 dimensions, right? Yeah. And that ties back to God singing. That's God speaking 10 times and the world comes into being. So there's no contradiction. It's there in the scripture. Wow. Um. um I want to tell me about you had a sort of a supernatural encounter with with Yeshua Jesus, um, and, it, and it kind of awakened your destiny. I mean, I want to hear about that sort of supernatural connection. Yeah, God's got a great sense of humor. Here's a, <laughs> a here's a Jewish kid in New Jersey, you know, hip hop, and you know, trying to find truth. And you know, I, I I love going to synagogue growing up and studying with my rabbi, but I also wanted a real relationship and a real encounter with God. It had to be more for me than just religion or just ritual. It had to be something that was very real and tangible mm -hmm. in my life. And so I went on this spiritual journey. So I was studying with my rabbi. I started to do it martial arts and Eastern philosophy, yoga. I'd meditate for hours a day. And one day I was meditating. My soul began to vibrate and it left my body. And I went into heaven and I saw this king high and lifted up. The power of God pulsated through my body. Every part of me came alive in a way I can't even explain. And basically Yeshua told me I was called to serve him. Next thing I know is down in my body, shaking under the power of heaven. I had no idea what this meant. I was running around so happy. I'm called to serve him. My mom's like, you're called to serve who? Jesus, we're Jewish, for goodness sakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so, so, so everything from that point is just you know, understanding yeah. the power. I want to, um, we're going to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. But when we come back, I want to talk about, you talk about there's five major areas that reveal the key clues about Messiah. And I want to talk about that when we come back. We'll be right back on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're, we're back with Rabbi Jason Sobel. He has written a book, uh, The Mysteries of the Messiah. And uh, he's a young Jewish boy <laughs> who now <laughs> follows Jesus. Um, but you talk about... Um, the five major areas that reveal key clues about Messiah. What are they? Why they are important? Yeah. So one of the things that happened to me, just to give some context, is when I came to place my faith in Yeshua, my mom's like, you've joined a cult, go meet with the rabbi. So I had to really begin to study the scriptures and say, you know, if Jesus is the Messiah, he has to come in fulfillment of what Moses and the prophets wrote about him. 
And obviously, there has to be a job description of the Messiah. The kind of the how are the that reveals the 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 nature of the Messiah, the mysteries of the Messiah, of who he's going to be and what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And there's five key areas that are foundational. The first is his humanity, right? So God created man and woman, put him in the garden. We broke the world when we disobeyed God in the garden by talks about taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eating it. The day that we ate it, we became like the tree, a mixture of good and evil. So ultimately we broke the world. We couldn't fix it. God was going to have to do it. And so he was going to, he was going to come as in the seat of the woman. And the interesting thing is that the Messiah had to be the second Adam. He had to be human, but he Mm -hmm. also had to be divine. And as we come into this season, you know, one of the things is that Christians don't even think about, right? As they celebrate Good Friday, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Think about it for a moment. How did sin enter the world? The first man and woman stole from the tree. So God had to put back on the tree for you and me to undo and make a repair and redeem what they did. Why did his hands have to be pierced? Because what stole from the tree? Our hands. Why does his side have to be pierced? Because who was the one that led him into temptation? It was Eve, the one who was literally taken from the side. He's making a repair and redemption for Eve as well as Adam. His feet are pierced. Why? Because what's the sin of the first, because what's the first messianic prophecy? The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Why does he have to have a crown of thorns on his head? Well, what's the curse of creation as a result of the fall? The ground would produce thorns and thistles. He's literally taking the curse of creation on his head for you and me saying, I feel your pain to redeem us. So his humanity, his his ethnicity, he has to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because God makes a covenant with Abraham and he's going to come through one particular tribe, that's Judah. But from all the descendants of Judah, God makes a covenant with the house of David. So he's going to have to be a descendant of David. And then not only is he going to be a descendant of David, he's going to have a special birth Isaiah 7 talks about a virgin birth, which connects back to Genesis 3.15, because it says the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Well, women don't have seed, men have seed in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So it's alluding to something, it's raising a question that's going to have to be answered, a mystery. How can this be that a woman has seed? It's going to be through a virgin birth that's going to point to his unique identity and mission. And ultimately, as we talked about, the Messiah was going to have to suffer and die, Isaiah 53. Um, it's amazing to me that how do you preach? I mean, I don't know if you don't preach to other Jewish people, but um, how is it that more Jews actually don't see that? I mean, I don't want to disparage any Jewish person or the Jewish faith, but I'm just wondering how that is explained um, in the synagogue uh, as, as we obviously think it's, it's points to Jesus um, how is that explained in the synagogue to other Jews? No, no that's, a great, that's a great question. And it's a common question people ask when they read a book like Mysteries of the Messiah. And it's unbelievable how you see all the connections, how it all comes together. And the question, common question is, you know, how come more Jewish people don't embrace this and, and have an understanding that he is the fulfillment of what the Torah and the prophets spoke of? And I think there's several reasons. You know, I think one reason is because Jesus is unrecognizable as the Jewish Messiah because we've garbed him with so much Western ideas and images. Like, for example, look at da Vinci's famous picture of the Last Supper. Right. You know, what are they eating for the Last Supper? Well, they're eat- they should have been eating 
lamb. Today, Christians eat ham. I don't know how the Passover lamb became the Easter ham, <laughs> but, uh, but in the picture, they're eating fish because the painter was a nice Catholic boy, right? So he's been taken so out of context, right? They're eating fluffy loaves of white bread in the picture at Passover, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Right. I mean, right. So one of the things we talk about in Mysteries of the Messiah is how the mystery of Messiah in Joseph, the brothers, the first time they come down, they don't recognize him. Why don't they recognize him? He walks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He acts like an Egyptian. It's only the second time that they take off. He takes off his garments and Joseph says, I I am your brother, Joseph, that they've recognized him. Well, in some senses, we've made Jesus into a, an Egyptian. We've made him so disconnected from his roots and his background that many Jewish people say, this is another religion. There's no connection. Easter, yeah. Passover, there's no connection. Christians, they don't like the Old Testament. They just want to. So all of these things kind of make it difficult. All of these cultural trappings that we've placed upon him, we're trying to get back to those roots. And also, unfortunately, uh, many throughout the centuries, many times Jewish people have been persecuted in the name of Jesus, unfortunately. Right. Right. And that is that persecution has just turned people off, Jewish people off to Jesus. But there are many Jewish people today that are coming to a belief that he is the promised Messiah. Yeah, I have to laugh because I remember uh, uh, judging a pageant down in uh, one of the southern states. And this young girl was just a very devout Christian. And she said something about Jews. And I said, you know, Jesus was a Jew. And she just was so flustered about the whole idea that, you know, you know, that Jesus was a Jew, that, you know, the person, the, the group that she'd been taught basically to hate. And um, that's one of the problems is that there's just this, you know, for Christians, and this is a problem that they've had is that they said, you know, the Jews killed Christ. And so that meant that they could have this sort of disparaging and, and, and hateful understanding of Jews. And that's where, that is kind of how antisemitism kind of grew and grew and grew and, and was allowed to just grow uncontrollably. Absolutely. And I think that's why putting Jesus back into his Jewish context and understanding the connections between the old and the new is so important. I mean, one of my earliest experiences was a Christian neighbor growing up in New Jersey saying, coming to my house and seeing a kippah in my draw that, you know, Jewish head covering saying, well, we don't play with dirty Jews. I mean, wow. you know, so that, that, that was a reality for me in part, you know, growing up as a kid. And so, Obviously, Jesus was Jewish. The sign over has said king of the Jews. He says salvation is of the Jews. And the truth of the matter is, if we don't understand the, the, the New Testament as part of the Jewish story that began in the old, you know, we're going to miss it. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote Mysteries of the Messiah. I mean, I'll never forget one year around the Super Bowl, I went out and bought a standard, I bought a high definition television. Everybody's like, it's going to change the way you see the game. I watched the whole <laughs> game. I'm like, this isn't that great. And then I had a revelation at the end of the game. I'm bored. I'm flipping through the channels. And I realized that the higher channels are the high definition channels. I watched the whole game in standard <laughs> definition. <laughs> right. And I, and I feel like many Christians are reading the Bible in standard definition when we're supposed to read it in high definition and we're settling for half an inheritance because the old is part of the inheritance that goes along with those who believe in Jesus and the new. Yeah, you know, um, you talk about Matthew 13, 52 as a catalyst for connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew is the first of the four gospels. Uh, why is Matthew 13, 52 the connective tissue? 
Yeah, Matthew thirteen fifty two. Jesus says, and he says in a parable, he says, "What can a scribe who understands the kingdom of God be compared to? Like a householder that brings forth treasures new and old." And what I found is so many Christians settle for the new, and so many Jews settle for the old. But when you settle for the old or the new apart from the other, you're getting half the story. You're getting half the inheritance. You're going to get it half right. It's not going to make full sense. And there's so, there's so much misconceptions and so many bad teachings and, and bad theology because of the separation of the two. But of course, there's something more because Jesus' last prayer, John 17, was that for these and those to be one as he and the Father were one. Who are these? These are the Jewish disciples that were there who were all Jewish. Who are those who are going to believe? Those are the nations who are going to believe as a result of the Great Commission. And he says, when these and those come together, he says, then you'll be perfected in unity, and then the world will know the Father sent me. It's so important. Yeah. You know, um, I want to go back to this number thing, because one of the things that I thought was fascinating in your book is talking about the explanation of 666, which the world kind of even culturally knows is the symbol for the devil, is Satan's number. Um, but explain what that actually means, 666. Because it doesn't, it's not yeah. exactly what we think it really means. No, it, no, there's, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, it's basically, it kind of means it, but it, not exactly the way we think it does. It, explain it. Yeah, there's something deeper there. So what we have to understand is six is the number of the physical world. Man was created on the sixth day. Even when you think about physical space itself, you have the four directions of the compass, north, south, east, and west, and then you have up and down. So we could go more into this, but the physical world is connected to the number six. So anything you say three times in Hebrew is the most. So like in Isaiah, the prophet cries out, the angels cried in heaven, holy, holy, holy. The reason why it says it three times is that it means it's the absolute maximum. It is the most. When you say something three times in a row, you can't get any more. So 666, if six is the number of, of this physical world, the physicality, it's the number of man. 666 is complete physicality. It is complete materialism. It is all earth disconnected from heaven. And that's why it's called the mark of the beast. Because if all you do is focus on your physical needs, if all you do is focus on this world, then you're nothing more than an animal. You might gain the whole world, but you're going to lose your soul. And that's why the devil can only offer Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. It can only offer things in this physical material world. And that is part of the significance of 666. But of course, there's something even more interesting, which is that Jesus's number, as we said, is 888. <laughs> right? And, <laughs> right. And, and he is the second person of the Godhead. So it's 222. Right. And when you subtract 888 from 666, right, you get 222. Right. And the interesting thing is 222 in Hebrew is the numerical value of firstborn because Jesus called the firstborn of all creation. And 222 is the number of the numerical value of the word for blessing in Hebrew because Jesus comes to reverse the curse and restore the blessing and overcome all the schemes of the enemy. And you said that God created the world. I mean, this is another thing about two to two. God created the world to be in twos, in harmony, Absolutely. right? 
you know, yeah. heaven and earth, uh, spiritual and material. Uh, you could even extend it to male and female, you know, this sort of two, two complementary nature of, of, uh, of the world. What, what is the most fascinating thing that you, that you speak about in your book that um, people should really take note, note of? That there's sort of a mystery that you've unlocked. <laughs> I mean, there's there's so much in there. I mean, I think there's there's a couple different things. I mean, I think if we're talking about some things that are really practical and meaningful, I mean, one of the mysteries that I love is the mystery of the two tablets mm. that God comes down on on Mount Sinai and gives the Ten Commandments on Pentecost and Hebrew Shavuot. And he goes up to get the actual physical tablets. He comes down, he sees the children of Israel committing the sin of the golden calf, and he smashes those tablets. And then he goes up and he gets a second set and he comes down. And one of the questions that's raised is, you know, what did God, what did Moses do with the broken set of tablets? I mean, it's written by the finger of God. You can't just throw those out. So in Jewish thought, those broken tablets are placed within the ark and they rumble around in the ark with the whole tablets every time the ark is moved. Well, why is that significant? It teaches us that wholeness comes out of brokenness, that there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. You know, brokenness is always going to precede wholeness. Don't ever trust a person, a leader that hasn't been broken. Don't trust someone that doesn't walk with a limp. And God wants us to give him the broken pieces of our life, and he can make something whole and beautiful out of it. The broken dreams, the broken, everything that's broken in life, give it to him. And and it points to the Messiah in this way. The first tablets that are broken, it's like Jesus at his first coming. Yeshua was broken for our sins. The people rejected him. But when he returns again, he's going to make the world whole and he's going to make each and every one of us whole. That's fascinating. Fascinating. I could talk to you really for more time here, but there is a connection. We talked about heaven and earth, sort of the idea of of twos, but you talk about there is a connection between heaven and earth and the missing letter Vav or Vav. What is that? Yeah, that's that's the other one I was going to mention. So Right. And it's again, it ties into this season. So let's start there. When Jesus dies, when Yeshua dies on the cross, he dies on what we call Good Friday. And on the biblical calendar, that is the sixth day of the week. The seventh day, Saturday is the seventh day. So he dies Mm -hmm. on Friday, which is the sixth day. Well, why does God choose for him to die on a Friday? God doesn't do anything by chance. Everything is for a reason. Well, this goes back to the missing letter Vav. So In the very beginning of creation, God creates heaven and earth. He creates man on the sixth day. In Jewish thought, we well, biblically, we're created on the sixth day, but also in Jewish thought, we fell on the sixth day and we lost six things. Well, how do you write the number six in Hebrew? It's the letter Vav. Why is that important? Because the first place the letter Vav occurs is in Genesis chapter one, and God created the heavens and the earth. So in Genesis chapter one, there's seven words in Hebrew. The sixth word is the sixth letter of the alphabet, which is the letter Vav. When we sinned, we broke the Vav. We broke the connection between heaven and earth. And that's why Jesus had to come and die on the sixth day to restore that connection between heaven and earth. But of course, there is more because so the whole book of Genesis is structurally 
built around the word generations. In Hebrew, it's told dote. These are the generations of. Well, after the fall, every time the word generations occurs, it's it's written defectively, meaning it's missing one of the letter vavs in it. And it's not written in its full form until we get to the book of Ruth, to the, ge- to the genealogy of Ruth and Boaz, and ultimately David who comes through them, and from David comes the Messiah. So ultimately, it was going to be the descendant of David, the Messiah who is going to restore the Vav, restore the connection of heaven and earth, restore the blessing. And that's why Jesus also does the first miracle, John chapter 2, water into wine with six stone pots. He's coming to restore the fruitfulness and blessing of creation through his ministry, through his life, death, and resurrection. This is absolutely fascinating. Um, and I, I, there's so much that you talk about in this book that every Christian really should know. Um, I knew some of it, but you have blown me away with so much of what you're explaining with the numeric values of the Hebrew letters, um, with the numerical connections between the words in the Bible. It is absolutely fascinating. And I think that, you know, even if you're not a believer, um, you've got to read this to know exactly what you're rejecting because it's really amazing stuff. Uh, Rabbi Jason Sobel, the book is called Mysteries of the Messiah, The Rock, The Road, The Rabbi. I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, and you've got an open invitation to come back anytime. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy and a blessing. Great. Thank you very much. And I'm Lauren Green. Thanks for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.